Welcome, Valley family, and Happy New Year. On behalf of Dr. Greg and all the staff here at Valley Christian Church, we want to wish each and every one of you a happy and a healthy 2016. I'm excited to be standing in for Dr. Greg as he's visiting with all of you in our Poughkeepsie campus. And Dr. Greg's had a busy Christmas break, and he's hard at work at preparing our upcoming message series entitled Q&A, which all of you had a had a hand in when you filled out those surveys on Christmas Eve, identifying the top five questions that you've been wondering about. And from the pages of scripture, Dr. Greg is hard at work at the answers, and that message series is going to start in two weeks on January the 14th. So make plans to join us at Hopewell or at Poughkeepsie, and invite a friend, because chances are they've been wondering about the same questions that you've been wondering about. But I'm happy to be here today with a standalone message as we kick off 2016 with a message that I've entitled Givers and Takers. Givers and Takers. And I just want to start out by saying this about this message. I am confident that this message will be the message, the most important message that any of you will have heard thus far this year. Of course, it's the only one, but I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for this message because I know that it's going to help somebody, and I know that uh, regardless of when or what the circumstances are, uh, in this message, I'm going to be sharing with you something that I'm confident is going to help you at some point this year. It's going to be the secret to living a full life. So if you don't remember anything else that I say today, I want you to remember when, I, when we get to the secret to living a full life. But I thought before we get to that, let's start off by asking you a question that you can answer in the privacy of your own heart. Are you primarily a giver or are you a taker? We've just concluded the holiday time, two big holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And Thanksgiving, of course, is the time when we get together with family and with friends and we we give thanks for all that God has done in our lives. And then we take a whole mess of delicious food and we put it in our bellies. That's what I'm talking about. I love Thanksgiving. Of course, Christmas, there's give and take as well. Dr. Greg just concluded our Christmas It's Complicated series where he talked to us about uh, God giving us the ultimate gift in Jesus Christ. And the tradition of giving and taking started from that ultimate gift. And so there's giving of gifts, and we like to say receiving of gifts. It sounds so much more polite at Christmas time, but I know there's plenty of kids. I know sometimes my kids will just take apart those presents and have fun with them. So there's giving and taking at Christmas time. But that was the holiday, and collectively as a society around the holiday time, we're focused a little bit more on giving and on others. But we flipped the calendar, and now really throughout the year, but never more evident than the beginning of the year, the focus is not on giving and others, the focus is on taking and me. It's me time. It's, it's New Year's resolution time. In fact, if you do any kind of research about New Year's resolutions, you'll see they're even referred to as self-improvement goals. It's me time now. It's, it's, it's all about taking for myself. So I thought it'd be interesting to take a look at what are the top 10 New Year's resolutions for 2016. I think you'll start to sense a trend. Uh, number one, for 2016 is lose weight, exercise more. It makes sense. We've put on some holiday pounds, eaten some good food, and now's the time to, to hit the gym. And gym memberships are through the roof, typically, in January. Uh, gym attendance in February and March, eh, not so much. But lose weight, exercise more. Number two, 
quit smoking. Another good goal has health benefits, has financial benefits. Number two is quit smoking. Number three, eat healthy. My wife Suzanne says, amen, hallelujah. She, she's all about eating healthy. That's number three. Number four, learn something new. Expand your mind, uh, expand your horizons, learn something new, acquire new knowledge. Number five, spend less and save more. Keep more of what I've got for me. Spend less and save more. Number six, drink less alcohol. Another health benefit, drink less alcohol. Number seven, travel more. See the sights, experience new cultures. Number seven is travel more. Number eight, it's finally down to number eight where we finally have a New Year's resolution that's somewhat other-centered, right? It's give back to the community. Find opportunities where you can give to other people. Number nine, spend more time with family. Another one that's got some other-centeredness to it. Spend more time with family. And number 10, back to us, relax and rest. Listen, there's nothing wrong with any of these goals. In fact, I can find a biblical basis for a lot of these goals. Having goals is a good thing. You aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. The problem is, is that the perspective is so much throughout the year, and particularly at the beginning of the year, on ourselves, focused on ourselves. And again, the, the weight of these goals, because typically each one of these goals um, are connected to another goal. If I can just lose a few pounds, then I can fit into those clothes, then I can go there with these people and, and my life will be better. If I can save a little bit more money, then I can afford to buy this and then my life will be better. And the collective weight of these goals tend to end up making us feel empty because the holes in our heart really can't be filled by anything on this earth. It can only be filled by God. And unfortunately, the statistics end up bearing this out. Half of all Americans will set at least one of these New Year's resolutions as their goal this year, right now, at the beginning of the year. Sadly, though, in one month's time, more than a third, 36% of the folks who set at least one of these as a goal will stop. In six months, the statistics are alarming. Only 8% of the people, come June, will still be working actively at any one of these goals. Why do we take so much time on self-improvement only to realize an overall lack of self-fulfillment? It's a great question to ask yourself. Am I fulfilled? Am I fulfilled? Not am I filled, because as those resolutions show, we do a great job of that. We can fill our time and fill our calendar with so much stuff. Again, nothing wrong with those resolutions, nothing wrong with technology. But when our focus is so much on our smartphone, just scrolling up our feed, when our focus is on our tablet and our smartwatch and our glasses we can put on to view the world through technology, we can get so impressed with how technology can speed up the processes to make our life better. We're shocked when we put down the phone and look up from the technology and see the opportunities that we've missed to make our lives matter? I think the answer to that question of am I fulfilled is fundamentally found in how we see God. If God's been presented to you primarily or entirely as a taker, one who just wants to take your fun, take your freedom, take your choices, take your calendar, take your checkbook, you're not going to be too quick to want to approach God. If that's your impression of God, or if that's how God's been presented to you growing up, I want you to know how glad I am that you're here today. 
See, if you've spent any time with God, and, and you're here today, or you're viewing this message, so you're spending some time with God, if you've cracked open the Bible at all, and if not, don't worry, we'll be going through a lot of verses in our time together. If you spent any time at all at Valley, you'll know that God's ways are not our ways. Where did you get a thought like that, Pastor Andy? Well, from God. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God said this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, God is not just a giver. God's an overgiver. God's the ultimate giver. God cannot be outgiven. We just need to crack open the pages of Scripture and go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God made man out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed life into us. God is a giver. While we were still sinners and didn't care about God, God gave us his very best. We just celebrated that a few days ago, and God gave us his one and only son. Whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God is a giver. Our Savior came to give. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for you and for me to pay our sins in full so that we would have new life with him on this earth and eternal life with him in heaven. God is an unwavering, unconditional, unsurpassed, giving God. Every day is a gift. Every breath that we breathe is a gift. Every season is a gift. A few days ago on Christmas Eve, we had 72 degrees and balmy weather. Today, we got the white stuff on the ground, and we can see our breath. Every change of season is a gift from a giving God. But did you know God's also a taker? <gasps> what? God is a taker. At times in my life, it's been the things that God has taken from me that has resulted in some of the greatest blessings in my life. More than three years ago, I was hit head-on by an SUV going almost 50 miles an hour with no braking. My car was totaled. I spent a couple days in the hospital and a couple of months out on disability. I had some things taken away from me, like my mobility. Uh, I was walking around like a hundred-year-old. Things like simple things, like turning my neck, was very, very painful and not doable for a while. Uh, I needed assistance to change my clothes. Uh, it was a hard time, painful time. But it was during that time that God opened a door that just resulted in a great, great blessing in my life. In fact, uh, it was a car ride that I was sharing with Dr. Greg. I'd asked him for a ride to a meeting uh, here at the church because I could not drive. And it was in that car, in that conversation, where he asked me, if I would join the staff and become a pastor here at Valley Christian Church. At times when God takes something away from you, it's so that he can reveal a blessing and a greater, higher, deeper purpose for your life. Uh, God is that big of a giver that he takes what you give him and he multiplies it uh, over and over. Think about that boy who had some some food with him, some fishes and some loaves, and a crowd of people that Jesus was teaching, and it was late, and they were hungry, and the boy gave what he had. He gave that food to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to Jesus, and Jesus took it, and he multiplied it 
and he returned it back bigger and better than when it was given to him, so much so that 12 baskets of leftovers were filled up. God is such a giver that he takes what you give him and he returns it back bigger and better than it ever was before. Giving and taking is really a part of every relationship. Giving and taking is a part of marriage. Uh, my wife, Suzanne, she's an excellent cook and a fabulous baker, and that works out real, real well. See, because I like to eat, and so there's a give and a take in marriages. There's a give and take in parenting as well. When, when your child is first born, you're doing all the giving. You're giving the food, you're giving warmth, you're giving transportation. You're doing all the giving, and they're doing all the taking, and then they grow up to be teenagers, and well, nothing much changes. You're doing all the giving. No, I'm just kidding. They, as it's been fun for our kids to watch them take on more and more responsibility, chores in the house, and expectations of them as they get older and can take those on. There's give and there's take in parenting. There's giving and taking in a church. Last year, we just celebrated our 40th anniversary here at Valley Christian Church, and you've heard Dr. Greg tell the story. That started from a couple of Bible studies in a few living rooms, and it was those people 40 years ago who gave of their time and gave of their money and gave of their prayers that ended up birthing Valley Christian Church today. One church in two locations. Those of you who have a seat right now in our second campus, in our Poughkeepsie campus. Get a shout out to our Poughkeepsie peeps there. You know, you have that seat because two, three years ago, there was a, a group of people here at Valley that went beyond themselves, that we had a beyond ourselves initiative where folks gave of their time and gave of their money so that we could launch a second campus and reach the city of, and the area of Poughkeepsie and the surrounding areas with the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. There's giving and taking in churches. And there, for a church to grow, there's got to be good givers. And you've got to reach those who come to take. But let me also just say, there's a problem when you've been at a church for a year or two or three and you're just taking, or you've left your previous church because you weren't being fed. We've got to move from milk to meat. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put childish ways aside. There's giving and taking. We've got a job to do. We've got people we've got to reach. There are giving and taking in the growth of a church. Job, who had m uh, many reasons uh, to feel otherwise, he had most everything taken away from him. And yet this is what he said in the Bible version called the message. He said, God gives and God takes. God's name be ever blessed. God is a giver and a taker. So if we want to be like God, here's the secret to living a full life. I al alluded to it at the outset, but here it is. Give where God has called you to give, and take where God has called you to take. Too often, we get stuck. We get off track because we get this confused. We think and act more like what the world says instead of what God says. Think about this. The world rationally says, the more you give, the less you have. The more you take, the more you have. Now, that's just a cold, rational, antiseptic, mathematical reality. If I have something and I give it to you, I now have less. And if you take it where you once had less, now you have more. This is just a rational reality. And that's what the world says. Contrast that with what God says. God mysteriously says, the more you give, the more you have. The more you take, the more you need. 
the word picture that I want to paint for you is that of a pond versus a river. A pond is a separate, standalone body of water. It's not connected to anything. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't move anywhere. It's just a pond. And the pond can go one of two directions. A little bit up as it receives more rain from God, and the banks can get a little larger, and the level of the water can get a little higher. Or as the sun bakes that pond, it can get a little lower, and it can get a little smaller, but it's still just a pond focused on me and mine, making sure I got what I need. Again, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't offer anything. The water in a pond is stagnant. And so that's why sometimes on ponds we see green slime, uh, pond scum forming. Maybe not on all the parts. Maybe some of the parts of the pond look pretty. Maybe they look golden. We've got some golden, pretty-looking Christians that sing songs and pray prayers, but they're, they're not connected to anyone. They're not going anywhere. They're not offering anything. A pond is just a standalone body of water. can only go a little up or a little down. Contrast that pond with a river. That river, you saw that graphic that we put up. Matt, can you put that, that introductory graphic up again? A river goes somewhere. A river offers something. A river moves and supplies. A river gets its resources from a larger body of water. That would be God. A river encourages, and it offers, and it gives, and it serves. And once God tests you and trusts you that the blessings that he gives you are not just for you, just for me and mine, making sure just my needs are met, but instead the blessings he gives you are to be a blessing to others. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Once, my understanding of scripture is once God trusts that you're a river, a flowing, encouraging, offering river, he can't help but bless you because he knows that the blessing that he gives you doesn't just stay with you. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verses 24 and 26, it says this, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Did you encourage somebody today or recently? Or did you need encouragement from others, and you whined, and you moaned, and groaned, and complained from the encouragement that you did not get from others? And now, while you've got something to complain about, you're still empty, because you didn't get what you needed. But don't you know that if you had humbled yourself and encouraged somebody, God would have encouraged you, because he recognized that you're a flowing river, one who will give and offer and when you do, your needs will be met. Again, the world selfishly says, the, and the world selfishly says, the more you give, the less you have. The more you take, the more you have. But God lovingly says, the more you give, the more you have. He will not not supply you once he knows that what he gives you is really earmarked to you and through you for somebody else. The more you take, the more you need. That last part, the more you take, the more you need, that's both a warning and an encouragement. I'll explain. See, we can have a Burger King faith 
or we can have a biblical faith. It's really up to us. You've heard, you remember those old Burger King commercials, right? Have it your way at Burger King. You know, God will allow you to have the kind of faith that you choose. This is not a Geppetto Pinocchio situation. He's not pulling the strings and forcing you to do anything. The Bible says that God is a very loving God. He is a very patient God. He is a very forgiving God. But also in Deuteronomy, it says this in, in chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 9a. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. It goes on to say, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's a loving, forgiving, patient God, but he's also a jealous God. He's jealous for you. He wants to be number one in your life. He wants you to want him. So that part, the more you take, the more you need. If you approach every situation simply looking for what you can take out of it, you're always going to be empty. It, it, if you're somebody who's insecure and needs a lot of uh, adulation and needs a lot of uh, compliments, and you're not busy building up others and encouraging them, you're always going to be empty. If you're somebody who will not give sacrificial love to one woman, but instead bounces around from relationship to relationship, just looking to see what you can get out of it in the moment, you're always going to be empty. Because the holes in your heart will never be filled by the things of this world. If you look to, to, to situations for what you can take out of them, you're always going to be in need. But if you look to what God's already prepared for you, and you recognize that he's jealous for you, and desires you to come to him and put him in his rightful place, primary, primary place in your life, foundational place in your life, then you can have a biblical faith. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And he promises, and it's already prepared for us, that exactly what we need each and every moment, each and every day, for our good and for his glory, to honor him with the words and the actions and the attitudes of, of, of our hearts, is ready and, and, and at the ready for us. So if we take what he's already prepared for us, we'll constantly come to him. We'll constantly be dependent upon him to supply our needs, just like he said he would in the Lord's Prayer. And he will be in his rightful place in our lives. He is the Lord our God, and he is a jealous God. He is jealous for us. God will give us exactly what we need to honor him in each and every situation. So in our remaining time together, I want to give you three ways that we can be both givers of what God has freely provides and takers of what God has already promised. The first thing we need to do is this. We need to give to God. We need to give to God. We need to exercise that muscle of giving to God. We can't hope to just be giving to others out of our own strength and out of our own smarts and out of our own abilities. We'll eventually run dry. But we need to give to God and exercise that muscle for two reasons. First, we need to be reminded and renewed with the reality 
that we are utterly dependent upon God and that we have a need for him. I don't know how people do life without God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, And then I realized that God is letting the world go on its sinful way so that he can test mankind and so that men themselves will see that they are no better than beasts. Even on your best day, when you think you're all that in a bag of chips, when everybody loves you and everyone is hanging on your every word, you and I are no better than the beast. We're about a few moments away from utter depravity on our own with the thoughts that are in our head and the darkness that may exist in places in our heart. We need God, and we need to give to God because God will take what we give him and he will return it back to us. A greater and bigger and higher and deeper than anything we can come up with on our own. We need to exercise that muscle to give to God, to demonstrate to him and renew for us our utter dependence upon him. We also need to give to God because we need to get supplied. We need to daily uh, renew our relationship with God. We need to renew our mind in God's word. We need to humble ourselves in God's word, humble ourselves in prayer and our communication and our relationship with God. This is what we do uh, with acts of tithing. Fifteen years ago, Suzanne and I began tithing, and we thought 15 years ago, much like many people who begin tithing, we can't afford to do this. How are we going to do this? Um, but we need to give to God to demonstrate that we don't uh, walk by sight, but we walk by faith. And that faith gets deepened. Sometimes it's, it's blind faith. Uh, sometimes it's uh, faith just with the, the size of a mustard seed. But when we take that step in tithing, and this valley, Valley's a tithing church, and like I said, 15 years ago, uh, we started tithing, and we've never stopped, and that's, God owns it all, 100% of what he blesses Suzanne and I with, and we gladly, uh, uh, every week, write a, a check to him uh, for 10% of what we get, and that 10% is the foundation. It is uh, what it, everything else is built up out of, and just like I said, 15 years ago, we thought we're not going to be able to afford to give that 10%. But then it wasn't long before God just took what we gave him and blew our minds away with uh, opportunities and resources to be able to continue to give to others. About 10 years ago now, uh, our, a relative of ours was diagnosed with cancer. And so since that time, Suzanne and I have been able to support that particular type of cancer research. We, we didn't know we were going to be able to do that, and God gave us the resources to do that. We, we, we've adopted a child in another country and provided resources uh, for that child and her family uh, to better her life and better the situation there. Test God. That's the only time in the Bible where God says, test him. And once he tests you and trusts that you're not holding on to those resources for yourself, but you're going to give first and foremost to God. Then just watch how God just expands those opportunities, opens those doors, provides those resources to give to others. Give to God both reminds us of our dependence upon God as well as uh, allows us to be supplied so that we can 
give others. Don't you know when you serve the body of Christ, when you welcome people to Valley Christian Church or care for their children, you get fed. It's, it's the strangest thing. You think you're just giving, but in, as you do that, you end up getting. It's a mystery, but it's one that's illuminated in Scripture. In, the, in, the, in Luke verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 38, God says this, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. The Greek word for this is pleros. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of a pitcher of water just getting filled to the top and then over the top. God's an over-giver. He, he will take what you give to him, and he will press it down, shake it together, running over, and it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God is a giving God. And again, this doesn't make sense, really, to the world or to those who don't know God. And it, there is mystery to this transaction. It doesn't necessarily always make sense uh, on the, in the formula, in the Excel formula of your spreadsheet. Uh, but it is absolutely a faith transaction. And this is the transaction. You give God thanks, regardless of your feelings. And God gives you joy, regardless of your circumstances. It really is a spiritual act of obedience. And at times, like I said, blind obedience. To people who don't know God, this can seem irrational or even impossible. But to those who know Jesus, it is a recognition that Jesus does a much better job of running my life than I can on my own. So we need to give to God. We need to give to God primarily and exercise that muscle so that we can be that flowing river and give to others. The second thing we need to do is we need to embrace trouble. What? Embrace trouble? I don't want to get anywhere near trouble. I love this quote that Oliver Wendell Holmes, I came across, former Supreme Court Justice, he said this, if I had a formula for bypassing trouble, I would not pass it around. Trouble creates a capacity to handle it. I don't embrace trouble. That's as bad as treating it as an enemy. But I do say, meet it as a friend. For you will see a lot of it, and it better be on speaking terms with it. That's a great quote. There's one old saying that says, a bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. Before it's all over, and again, I don't know if it'll be March or July or November of 2016, but I know this, at some point this year, all of us, regardless of the time or the circumstances, we're going to come across some bends in the road. It's really, God never promises to take away our trouble. He never promises to take away our circumstances, but he absolutely promises to change our perspective upon that trouble. And trouble can give us two very important gifts if we've got God's perspective on it. First, trouble produces growth in us. I don't think anybody can really meaningfully or significantly grow unless they've gone through some very difficult, hard times that has tested them. And you've been tested when what you know up here actually gets down here and actually gets walked out in, amidst that trouble. You just know that you know that you know, deep in your knower, 
uh, that God loves you, that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that he's providing you with everything that you need, your daily bread in the midst of that trouble, and that you know that it's true, what God is giving you and what God is guiding you in, in the midst of that trouble, is not only true, but it is the truth. He promised it, he provided it, and he's giving it to you right then and there in the midst of that trouble. That's what trouble does. It tests the principles and the belief structure. It tests the stuff that we say we believe. And if we've got God's perspective as we're walking through that trouble, we can't help but grow. Because just like that flowing river, even though the world says it's the time to get into the fetal position and hunker down and just think about you, your eyes are his eyes, your heart is his heart, and your prayers are his prayers. And then you grow. Trouble produces growth in us. Trouble also provides opportunity through us. So it produces growth in us, and it pr provides opportunity through us. It's not what trouble is keeping you from. That's what the world thinks. Most of us get down, we get depressed, we get discouraged. A lot of times when I'm meeting with someone in a counseling situation, they're coming in pretty down, pretty discouraged, because they're going through a difficult time. And they think that the trouble that they're facing is trouble that's keeping them from wh who they really want to be, where they really want to go, and what dreams they really want to realize and fulfill. Their thoughts are that this trouble is blocking me from where I want to go and what I want to do. The trouble that you're going through is actually not keeping you from something. It's actually pointing you through an opportunity. What is it highlighting that you need to learn about who God made you to be? Who does God want you to reach because you've gone through this trouble? This is a prayer that I pray often with people uh, when I visit them in the hospital. And I'm so encouraged because a lot of times uh, if they've spent any kind of time there and whether they've just gone through an accident and they're, and they're dealing with that or they've got an upcoming operation and the recovery of that, a lot of times in talking with them, they communicate this to me and it's very, very encouraging. But it's part of the prayer that I pray for them. And it's that the world thinks when you're in the hospital that you're the captive audience because you're the one in the hospital bed. But really, with, from God's perspective, it's everyone else who's the captive audience. The doctors and the nurses and the technicians and the custodians, they're there by definition. Their job is, there, is, is to put them there to make sure you're okay. You've got opportunities and inroads into people you would not have otherwise have met. The world says, Again, hunker down. You're in the hospital. It's time to focus on me. It's me time. I've got to get out of here. And God says, you've got opportunity. You've got wisdom that I'm going to give you. There's open doors I'm going to open for you to share who God's made you to be with those who need to know. Paul went through this in the book of Philippians when he was in prison, chained for preaching the gospel. He said this in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now he's in chains, in a prison, uh, with all his rights taken away. 
for preaching the good news. And this is his perspective. goes on to say, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What if Paul had just taken a hunker-down mentality and said, boy, I just got to get out of this prison. There's churches that need me. Uh, There's ministries I got to grow and work on. Uh, But no, he took advantage of the opportunity where he was at. Goes on to say, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for, for the defense of the gospel. Continues on to say, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can, there's that term, stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. And what's Paul's reaction to the trouble that they're stirring up? But what does it matter? But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul could have moaned and groaned about the fact that he was separated from the churches that he birthed and that he, was, that he loved, that he was locked up on trumped-up charges, uh, that people were saying bad things about him, uh, and, that, and that being in prison and chained up was keeping him from what he wanted to do. But instead, his approach was, God has me here, uh, they change the guards every four hours. Uh, those guards are chained to me. So they got to read what I write and hear what I say. Paul saw his opportunity where he was, not where he wanted to be. And, and that can be our opportunity. That can be our lesson. Think about it. It's not where you are in the midst of whatever it is you're walking through. It's not where you want to be. It's where you are that provides you with the opportunity. Trouble can do that for us. It can provide growth in us and opportunity through us. So we need to give to God, number one. We need to embrace trouble, number two. And the third thing to be the kinds of givers and takers uh, that, that God wants us to be is we need to redeem the time. We need to redeem the time. The great theologian, Clint Eastwood once said, tomorrow is promised to no one. No truer words have ever been spoken. Tomorrow is promised to no one. Do you own a DVR or maybe a DVR in every room that you have a television? DVRs are kind of that introductory step to really where I think the future of uh, television viewing is going. Whether it be movies or sporting events, pretty soon in the years ahead, we're going to be able to customize the camera angles and, and, and watch a story different than our neighbor. Same story, but we're going to be able to watch it from one character's perspective. And you'll be able to watch it from a different... We'll almost be kind of producers of our own viewing experience. And, and, and it goes in line with uh, how, we, how our news feeds are. Everything's getting customized. You click on one thing and, and everything that is of interest to you is customized for your viewing experience. Well, DVRs are kind of that introductory step into that uh, future viewing uh, experience. DVRs allow you to fast forward through commercials if still any commercials exist. 
you can pause it and rewind things that you've missed if you had to go to the refrigerator or the bathroom. Uh, you can fast forward through the scary parts and you're in control over your, what you want to view and when you want to view it. Life is not like a DVR. Life is not like a DVR. You get one shot at this. And we need to redeem the time. In Luke 22, chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus was speaking to Simon Peter, and he said words that should shudder us all. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. You think you're going through a bad time? Here's Peter, and Jesus is saying to him, Satan's going to have his way with you, up one side and down the other. Boy, if you were Peter... Wouldn't you want the next words out of Jesus' mouth to be, but don't worry, Peter, I'm coming in to save the day. I'm going to stand between you and Lucifer, and he's not going to be able to touch a hair on your head. But what did Jesus say? But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Jesus didn't say, I'm praying for you, Peter, that you wouldn't fall. And Jesus doesn't expect any of us not to have moments where we fall. But when we fall, Jesus' prayer was that our faith would not fail. And so we need to redeem the time. We need to make sure that our walk is not of our own merit, of our own mind. We're not just worrying about getting up a little earlier and, and thinking a little smarter and working a little harder, and that's going to get us where we want to go. We need to redeem the time. We need to walk by faith that God is who he says he is, a giver and a taker. And don't you know, if Jesus is praying this prayer for you, it's going to work, that your faith may not fail. Why is he praying that prayer? In the midst of probably the hardest thing Simon Peter had had to hear to that point, Satan's going to have his way with you. He's going to sift you like wheat. But Jesus is praying for Simon Peter's faith because he's got a job for Peter to do. And he's got a job for you to do and for me to do. That's what I encourage people when we're in a counseling situation. They're coming in all down and depressed because of the trouble that they're walking through. We need to redeem the time. God's got a job for you to do. And when you have returned, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. We got work to do. We got a job to do. Tomorrow is promised to no one. We've got to redeem the time that God has given to us and make sure that we're worthy of the opportunity. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a God who desires to hear every word you say and every thought you think. You have the power of love modeled for you by Jesus Christ, a sacrificial free, willing, gladly given, substitutionary love, modeled for you by Jesus. You have a peace that you can't understand. The Bible says the peace of God transcends your understanding. You don't know where it came from or when it started, but boy, you know it's there, supporting you, going even ahead of you, so that between you and all the thickets and all the distractions and distortions on the road between you and Jesus, you can still see him. And you can still hear his voice and still take a step towards him, even in the midst 
of some trouble. You have the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is living inside of you as a follower of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 26, 26, Jesus, while they were eating, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. We've got to redeem the time. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you got a job to do. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you got a job to do. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We can't waste time focused upon and distracted by the things that promise to make our lives better and miss the opportunities to share Jesus Christ with others and thus make our lives matter. We need to be givers of what God has freely and sacrificially provided, and we need to be takers of the power and the plan and the purpose that he's already promised us. I'm going to ask, would you bow your heads with me, and let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for Valley Christian Church and all that you've planned and purposed for us individually as members of the Valley Christian Church family and collectively, corporately, Lord God, for, through Valley in 2016. Lord, we thank you uh, for the uh, illumination of your word, Lord God, that you are a giver and a taker, and you want us to be givers of what you've already provided and takers of what you've already promised. Lord God, help us uh, to walk that out. Help us to be givers to you first and foundationally so that we can demonstrate our dependence upon you and we can get supplied by you just like that ocean supplies that river and we can take what you give to us, our daily bread, our daily needs, and we can offer and encourage and supply others who are in need so that more people will come and taste and see how good you are. Help us, Lord, to embrace trouble with your eyes. Help us to have your heart. You never promised to take away the circumstances, but you absolutely promised to change our perspective on the circumstances. Help us to see what you see. Help our prayers to be your prayers. And Lord God, help us, Lord, help us to uh, just redeem the time. Help us, Lord God, take advantage of every opportunity that you've given to us. Help us, Lord God, uh, to see those open doors that you have provided and have the strength in faith to obey, even if it's a blind obedience, even if there's not a feeling in us or a bone in our body that wants to do or wants to encourage or wants to give. Lord God, we know that you are the ultimate giver, and, and, and you take what we give and return it back because your ways are greater and deeper and higher and bigger than anything we can come up with on our own. Lord, we give you glory and praise and honor for all you are and all that you've planned and purposed in us and through us in 2016. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.